This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Real EFL League One podcast, the podcast where we take a look at all the wonderful action that England's third tier has to offer each weekend. And there were some massive results on Saturday, some wonderful goals, a couple of dreadful penalties, a few great saves and plenty of talking points as League One returned following the FA Cup third round of fixtures last week. There's so much to get through, so let's not waste any more time. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoyed the following episode. If you do... Please leave us a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice. It would be greatly appreciated as we attempt to reach as many League One lovers as possible. Now, without further ado, let's get into the action. And of course, I won't be on my own to delve through all the weekend's events. I'm joined today by two stalwarts of the League One podcast. Firstly, Keelan Saracen is here with us today. Keelan, how are you? Yeah, I'm all good, are you? I am very good. This is actually the first time I've done this podcast in quite a lot where I've had a really good night's sleep and I'm feeling energetic and I feel like I know what I'm talking about and I hope I don't make too many errors so I, I there was I don't think it was this podcast or the last time I did a podcast I think it was the time before that I had about four hours sleep and I was struggling I think I, I even when Charlie was on I gave Charlie the wrong game and he pointed it out on the podcast and he he, he made a joke about it, but it wasn't it was a tragedy and it was just it sounded awful in terms of uh it just sounded really bad on my behalf as a host but I'm also joined today by Chris Lamming. Chris, it's been a while since we last spoke on the podcast. I think you may have even, it may have even been right before you went to Germany. How have you been? I've been very well, thank you. Is that the last time we were on together? My yeah. God, that was a long time ago. Because I usually ask at the end, I was like, what would you guys do during the week? And you said, I'm actually going to Germany. And that was, mm. when was that? It must have been starting. That was October. Yeah. Late, last last week in October. Jesus Christ. That was a while ago. A, uh, it was, it was very nice though. It was very yeah. nice. I had a lovely time in Berlin. We'd definitely go back. Expensive? Uh, no, not too bad. Not no. too bad. Yeah, it was all right. Obviously it's not. It, what was interesting, we did a river cruise and uh, the tour host guy was uh, saying that it used to be really cheap to live in Berlin. Um, most people used to work one to two days a week and that would cover their rent. Whereas now they might have to work three, sometimes even four days. Wow. 
And then me and my other half just looked at each other like, is he doing this to like, make out of his era? Is, is that bad for them? I don't know. <laughs> just the four days only. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. We'll get into the action, of course, the, the games that took place, at least. Just a quick disclaimer, though. This is being recorded. Actually, while... Is it while Derby County are playing Borton Albion? So, or is that tomorrow? Um, I think that's right now. I feel like it's right now. I could be very wrong. If not, anyway, the, the podcast is being recorded before. Oh, it's tomorrow, County, sorry. tomorrow night. I had a feeling, sorry. The podcast is being recorded before Derby County face Borton Albion. So obviously, there's no point making a prediction because probably by the time you listen to this, the, the game will have either taken place or it's just a few hours away. So we will instead, we're not going to give a prediction on that and we're obviously not going to discuss the, the Derby game. But just as well, before we get into the the, the fixtures from Saturday. A game took place on Saturday afternoon between Bolton Wanderers and Cheltenham Town. Unfortunately, after 29 minutes, the game was stopped after what has been described as a lifelong Bolton Wanderers fan, Ian Porslow, aged 71, suffered a cardiac arrest and was taken straight to hospital. This morning, recording on Sunday, of course, it was announced that, that Ian had passed away, which is absolutely tragic. He was at the game with his son, Stuart, as well. And I just want to say before we moved on that we're incredibly sorry to Ian's family, to Ian's son, Stuart, to everyone involved, an absolute tragedy. I can't think of something sadder at the moment, or in football at least, and someone going to watch the, the team they love the most at the weekend, having that escape and going to watch the club they love and not coming home. A true tra- tragedy. And to, to Ian's family, the real EFL passes on their regards. Now, we will get straight into the action at the weekend. And we'll I think the best place to start is arguably, I don't even think it's arguable. The the most surprise result, Portsmouth Nil, Leighton, Orient, three. Shaq Ford opened the scoring in the 30th minute. This was followed by Jordan Brown five minutes later and then right on half time in the fifth minute of stoppage time. Dan Aguirre scored uh, to make it three nil. Cobby Bishop actually missed a penalty in that game as well in the first half, and it was a, a truly, truly awful penalty. Portsmouth, that first half especially, were dreadful. They were absolutely dreadful. Leighton Orient were fantastic. Richie Wellens has found himself under a lot of pressure recently, especially before the new year coming up and the build to Christmas, I think mid-December-ish. They were on a, Leighton Orient on a really, really poor run of form. And now all of a sudden they're, 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 they're flying again and they're inside the top 10 and I had this stat saved for kind of later on when I when we discussed Northampton Town, but three of the, the four newly promoted sides are in the top 10 at the moment, which is quite impressive. And Ivan Newsom, who's a regular on the podcast, is a Carolina United fan. And of course, his side are the only ones that are that are letting the the the, the, the four teams down. But three in the three in the of the newly promoted sides inside the top ten is absolutely magical. That being said, Portsmouth now that's back to back losses for them. It's their third loss in five games. They're now just one point on top of the league, and I can see Keelan smiling already. Peterborough United are behind them by one point, and the Posh have a game in hand. It's not looking good for Portsmouth. I mean, they went unbeaten for so long in the season, and now all of a sudden, I mean, they've they've suffered they've suffered four defeats now already this season within just the last couple of weeks alone. It hasn't even been spread out across the season. It's just the last few weeks. I mean, it's it's they've won win in six games as well. It's their second home loss of the League One season. And they face Fleetwood Town on Saturday. You would imagine they'll be heavy favourites considering Fleetwood Town will 
get on to them, of course, are rock bottom of the league. But it's just really, I mean, it's some of the defending as well. That opening goal from Shaq Ford, I believe it was it was Jack Sparks that didn't follow the run of Ford. I think Shaughnessy was kind of pulled out of position. And the little slip pass in. It was a great slip pass, really, really, really good move. Shaq Ford gets on the end of it. Sparks doesn't follow the run. Joe Morrill is there beside him, or Morrell, apologies, is beside him, and he doesn't track the run either, two of them. They let the runner go in, into the into the space Shaughnessy leaves, and, and it's, a, it's a great finish. And then it just it, it got so much worse. Colby Bishop would have put them back in the game. It was just a really poor penalty. Uh, Salbrin, fair play to Salbrin for saving it. Uh, Sobrin actually made a couple of really good saves in that game as well. But just, just, I was, to be honest, I mean, Portsmouth were on a bad run of form anyway, but I don't think anyone expected them to lose 3 0 to Leighton Orient, especially at Fratton Park. And it's now three wins in four for Leighton Orient, and their fourth win at Fratton Park since the 6th of February 2016 when they won 1 0. And the goal scorer that day was Joby McEnough. They face Bolton Wanderers at home. On Saturday, and just to read out some of the stats, I mean, Portland had 63% of the ball, but Leighton Orient had more XG. Leighton Orient had 1.48 XG to Portsmouth 1.34. And also, when you look at Portsmouth XG, 0.7, roughly 0.77 of that or 0.78 will have been the penalty. They really didn't create many clear cut chances from open play, bar the penalty, I suppose. As I said, Sauber made a couple of good saves. But I think Leighton Orient were full value for the win and it was an absolutely huge win for them. One of the most surprising results, I'd, I'd argue, of the season so far, especially considering how how emphatic the scoreline was and the fact that they had so many really good chances Leighton Orient. They had six shots on target to Portland's four. Worrying times for Portland because everybody else in that top six, actually, sorry, everyone else in the top seven won. They were the only team that lost or even dropped points. So... Well, of course, Derby County haven't played yet, so we'll find out the score of that game tomorrow. But yeah, really worrying for John Messino's men. I think there's almost a there's almost an air of inevitability at Fratton Park where the fans feel it coming, and they felt it coming for a while. Even was it? I can't remember what game it was, but I remember looking at some fan reactions after the game, and they were oh, everyone was typing, "Oh, here we go, here we go again. It's happening again." It's, you know, every single season, and they do well and they drop off and. They'll find themselves in a in a in, a, in a, a scrap now for the for the playoff places, and it's not really where you'd want to be. Considering they were top for so long in that season, and considering they were unbeaten for so long, they're being dragged down now. And you have all the rest of the teams are on great forms: Derby County, Peterborough United, who we'll get on to next. They won at the weekend. Keelan two one. We'll start with Peterborough United because it was you know another three points for them. But going into this game, they were. If they if they didn't lose, they would go ten games unbeaten in League One. Charlton Athletic, if they if they if they if they didn't win, would go ten games without a win, and that's exactly what happened. Keelan, talk me through this one. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, there's just a a confidence. I think you know Portsmouth are obviously struggling at the moment, and we seem to have really kicked into gear and everything's clicking at the right time. And, you know, from posh teams of the past few seasons, we, we you know we, when we got on, a, if we went on a sticky patch of form, everything would come undone. But at the moment, it just seems like we're getting results because we're confident and everyone's in it together. And I think yesterday, 
Charlton in, in the first half really didn't go for the game and it played into to Posh's hands mm. quite nicely. If you if you sit off us, we can just play our passing game and we got a goal through, you know, Ephraim Mason Clark scores a lovely curled finish. Really good work from um Ricky J. Jones, who's really stepped up in the last few weeks as the as the young striker plays off to him and it and it curls in. But I think in the second half, you know, it's that old cliche, you know, I think a lot of fans were thinking Charlton can't play as badly as they did in that first half in the second half. And when they gave it a go, they did they did give us a game and, you know, Alfie Mays renowned at this level for scoring, renowned for scoring against us. He scored a wonder goal for Cheltenham against us last year. This one was a bit more scrappy. You know, the debutante keeper for us in Jed Steer, who we've got in from, he's played at Aston Villa and even at Cambridge. And we got him in on a, on a free transfer and he sort of comes out, Alfie May gets a bit lucky and it, and it goes in. And maybe posh teams of old, you know, we might have folded a little bit, but there's just a, a, a strength about us at the moment. And people like Hector Cripiano and Archie Collins in the middle, they, they dictate play. It's very confident. And we never go away from the game plan. And Ephraim Mason-Clark, I mean, he's helped by, I think it's Tanai Watson, the Charlton defender, just mm. backs off him, backs off him. And then it's always urging him to shoot. And then he, he gets a lucky deflection, but he, he deserves it. And I think he's on to 10 goals and five assists now, you know, as a winger. It's, it's phenomenal. And yeah, it's just... You know, at the end, Darren Ferguson's quite a reserved manager usually when we win, but he was he was giving it large to the away end, and and you would really because I put a tweet out today and it's got quite a, a good bit of traction in in the fan base, and it's just it's one of those where I don't think he's quite getting commended enough for how great he's turned it around. From I know I don't want to bring it up on a podcast again, but the Sheffield Wednesday heartbreak from last season. <laughs> But to do to do to you brought it up. I, I I usually am the one yeah. that brings it up, and I I bring up that and I bring up Port Vale's uh, yeah loss at the start of the season as well all the time. But you did it this time. I didn't have to. But I think it's uh, it, it it's not being commended enough. The the job he's to to turn it. You know, this he could have probably walked away in the summer. Arguably, he like he likes doing that. He likes mm. leaving the club and then coming back. But he's you know. Yeah, it's just it's just fantastic, and a, a lot of even our chairman, who at times likes to to talk the talk, was saying this is a transition season. So to be second and, and one point off top, it's just it's 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 incredible. And you look at our fixtures coming up. We've got Shrewsbury, Wigan, Lincoln. You know, certain certain teams. It doesn't look like the the form's going to stop. But if it did stop and we lose a game, I. I don't think we'll be derailed, and yeah, it's just mm. it's just it's just great watching on at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> I think the other day, it's not off the record; it's definitely on the record. You said, um, I think you had maybe one too many Guinness Shandies, but I think you said <laughs> that Darren Ferguson should be built a statue. Is that tongue in cheek, or, or, or? Um, I mean, people get <laughs> for far less, don't they? Come on, <laughs> definitely. Actually, as well, I just wanted to say it was Ivan that said. Guinness Shandy's the other day in the in the group chat. I was horrified when I looked up what a Guinness Shandy was. As an oh. Irishman, oh, seeing God. that that come up on my on my my laptop and I searched it in, on Google was absolutely dire. And I, I I would advise anyone not to look that up. Is absolutely gross. It looks awful. I don't know how anyone drinks. I, if anyone does drink it, please let me know, and I will block you on Twitter. It's absolutely no problem. I'm um, just speaking of Charlton and Keelan before we move on. It's 10 games without a win now under 
Michael Appleton. Is he under pressure? Again? Well, not again. I mean, he was obviously this is their second head coach, a permanent head coach of the season, and now they've they're really on a poor run of form. I mean, this this would have dropped them down to, I believe, fourteenth or fifteenth if they, if if yeah if if other results had gone against them below them. Um, yeah, my dad was at the at the game yesterday. I was sort of keeping tabs with what what he was saying, and he did say beforehand, you know, the natives at the valley are are restless, and I think they're slightly. I don't know. They feel like Charlton might lack an identity at the moment, but I. Chopping and changing managers constantly. Are you not gonna, you know, you've got to give him time and, yeah, I don't know. And when you look at how many managers they've gone through, and it's the same thing over and over. Maybe it's you know not the manager, and they need to think about you know different personnel, mm. different people in the building. But then you look at that as well, and and players that have been doing really well for the for them this season, in like Corey Blackett Taylor's looking like that he might move away from the club and. Yeah, no, it's it's a tough time to be a Charlton fan this season because I think, you know, looking in the Michael Appleton appointment seemed like it could be a positive for mm-hmm. them, but it hasn't really worked out that way. And I think before the season, I mean, before every League One season, a team like Charlton are always touted to be up there, but it's it's just gone, it's all gone just a bit pear shaped again for them. Well, we did. I believe in the real the real EFL, we did our predictions at the start of the season, and Charlton Athletic were right up there. I don't think they were top or second, but they were at least in the playoff places. It's been kind of worrying. I mean, again, just they're they're quite a big club in League One, and they're just like the fact that if Wickham Wanderers had beaten Lincoln City, they would have been in 14. Is quite scary because they've underperformed massively. But this is the second head coach they've had this season. Michael Appleton himself did say just before the transfer will be gone that, or before it 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 started. He said that recruitment needs to be better. And he said it hasn't been good over the last couple of seasons. And I mean, he's, he's probably right. But they, do you want, I mean, they've some good players, as you said, Corey Blackett-Taylor and Alfie May, obviously, now he got his goal. Could have had a few more, to be fair. He missed some other decent opportunities. But he got his 16th goal of the season and it's his 20th in all competitions. He's just unbelievable in, in, inside the penalty area. And he's the top goal scorer now in League One again. And he just... They're, they're struggling. You have the best, arguably the best, well, at least statistically the best goal scorer in the league and you're 14th. I mean, it's quite, it's crazy to think and just in terms of the stats as well, Peter United had 56% of the ball and they had 17 shots to Charlton Athletics, 13. The XG was quite close. It was 1.42 to Peter United to 1.39. But Peter United had six shots on target to Charlton Athletics, Five. Chatham now play Borton Albion away on Saturday, and I'm sure Michael Appleton will be watching closely on Monday night as Derby County play the Brewers to see what kind of form they're in. I suppose because it's not an important. It's, I suppose it might be an important game for his his future. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I, this isn't in in the no information or anything. I would just imagine if you don't win against Borton Albion, and then eleven games without a win for a club like Charlton Athletic is. Is bizarre, and I think I I feel like maybe the the, the push for a playoff was over. Anyway, it probably never even got started, but I think it's it's well over now, and they can only just do as well as they can for the rest of the season. Try recruit some good players in January before the window closes. Try not to sell too many good ones, as you said. Corey Blacker Taylor has been linked with a move away as well, so it's worrying. It is worrying for Charlton Athletic, another club 
that are in a well in worse form, I suppose, in Charlton Athletic Chris. Carlisle United, they lost again at the weekend. They lost 3-1 to Oxford United. Talk me through this one because it's, I mean, Carlisle United now are still somehow not bottom of the league, but it's just been four wins all season. Yeah, they're really struggling at the moment. Going into this, they were at one win in the last 11, which was actually only a couple of fixtures ago, but against uh, Port Vale at home. So you I think if you're a Carlisle supporter, you try and take that into the next game. That was their last home game. And as their first win for a while, going into a home game against an Oxford team, which is really strong on paper, but has been a little inconsistent recently. But to be honest, Oxford were by far the better team. They they certainly had a lot more quality. Um, And it was a real tale of who took their chances, to be honest, and a reasonably tepid first, pretty much first half, to be honest. Oxford having the majority of the play, but not a huge amount from either team in regards to, to clear-cut chances, though maybe a slightly more passive performance from, from Carlisle. But um, set-piece goal for Oxford, five minutes before half-time. It's really difficult when you can see the goal just, just before half-time, of course. Deep corner, headed back inside and then, and then prodded home by Mark Harris to make it to make it 1-0. And that kind of prompted a, a shape change for... For Carlisle, they went from a back three to a back four um, for the second half. But within two minutes of the second half kicking off, they were 2-0 down. And there's definitely a shout for offside here. I'm sure you guys have seen it. Um, I, I freeze-framed it. And it does look, it looks tight. But I certainly think if you're a Carlisle fan, you've probably got a, a reasonable shout for being a little bit aggrieved there. Though it's worth putting out the freeze frame doesn't show the, the, the kind of far side of the pitch. So there might be a right back, for example, playing somebody on. But certainly when the ball came through um, to Mark Harris, he looked like he was in um, marginally in an offside position, but still had quite a bit to do. Rounded the keeper 2-0. And then when you're Carlisle United and you're 2-0 down, a team that really does struggle to score many goals, it kind of feels like like game over at that point. And then from in the 68th minute, Tyler Goodrum with a lovely finish um, to kind of put it to 3-0. Now I looked at the stats on this and, and it kind of surprised me to see that Carlisle had a higher XG than Oxford. Carlisle's, uh, according to Scout, this is. But looking into it in more depth, um, three quarters of Carlisle's XG came after the point that they were 3-0 down. So... Oh. Uh, yeah, it maybe wasn't quite as... Uh, it didn't tell the whole story. Mm. Up until that point, Oxford had significantly more. Um, so it's really worrying for Carlisle because he did have some new faces in the team. Luke Armstrong started up front um, and at the other end of the picture had a new goalkeeper in there as yeah. well from Bradford. I forget his name now. Harry Lewis. Um, thank you, Harry Lewis. Yeah, so it's two kind of good performers from, from League Two and, and you kind of think there's been a, a lot of players that have performed well in League Two that have taken this mm. stuff up into League One and really kind of settled and and I felt like they were two good, good signings but yeah, they're... They're crying out for some, just some results, like kind of by hook or by crook, really, at the moment. And and they are certainly, certainly struggling. And, you know, next up is Barnsley away. That's not going to be easy. Followed by Charlton away. And, and yeah. like you mentioned before, who knows? Who knows what state Charlton will be in by that point? And that, that could be a good opportunity for them to get some points. But that's two struggling sides, isn't it? So, yeah, it'd be really interesting from a Carlisle perspective. But they are... It, as much as they're on poor form, you know, only have one win in now 12 games, yet they're still only six points adrift from safety. Yeah, it's 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 worrying. And I just can't help but feel when I watch Carlisle that 
there's so much League 2 quality on the pitch and I don't mean to be disrespectful and I know the new owners have come in and it's obviously going to take time because you can't just change the entire squad in one transfer window, especially the January transfer window. But they just lack serious quality, especially up front. Only 22 goals this season, I believe, one of the lowest scoring teams in League 1 and their defensive record isn't much better either. One of the, the, the worst defensive records in the league as well and you have one of the worst attacks, one of the worst defences. You're in trouble, ultimately. You know, and, and I'm sure we'll get on to some of the other teams that have even worse records soon that somehow aren't lower than Carlisle on the table, cough, cough, Shrewsbury. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's just quite worrying. But just, Chris, before we move on, on Oxford United, they had a bit of a blip when Liam Manning left, probably understandably. Des Buckingham took over. But they've, they've been okay recently. They've, they've done quite well. And they're only four points off the top again. And obviously they have a game in hand on Portsmouth because... I think everyone does, apart from Blackpool. Everyone has a game in hand on, on, on Portsmouth, bar Blackpool. So if you're Portsmouth, you're certainly looking over your shoulder. But just as well, uh, Mark Harris, his brace was his seventh of the season. He scored seven goals this season. And Tyler Goodrum with six. Now three wins in four for Oxford United. And they face Northampton Town at home on Saturday, which is obviously a tricky fixture. But Chris, do you think, I don't want to say, I, I mean, can, do you think they can finish in the automatic places? Do you think they can finish in the playoffs? Uh, automatics, I think, is is going to be their target. I think that's that's it's not going to be a, a kind of a mission failed if they finish in the playoffs. I think they're mm. definitely good for the playoffs. Personally, I think the quality in the squad is is really high, and I think it's just taken Des Booking a little bit of time to get his feet under the table. But the last few games of he has after a, a sticky start, but again from in un, from an understandable kind of perspective, you know, losing two nil away at Cheltenham at the time felt like a really big shock in terms of the form that Cheltenham has been on of late. It turns out maybe not not quite so much. But yeah, like first time he's had back-to-back wins though, this one against Carlisle mm-hmm. uh, in the league. I think that's a big a big step in the right direction. And there's been a little bit of a shift in their system. They've, they've certainly tried to get the ball forward slightly sooner. It's not been long ball. It's still been very, very much kind of focused on, on playing out, but, but kind of a bit of a higher tempo. So um, with a team that's that was performing so kind of admirably under Liam Manning, it surprised me a little bit that there was quite so much of a shift in system. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seems to have settled now. And, is in, in, in the, yeah, I, I'm quite confident that they can settle themselves comfortably in the top six. The question will be around whether other teams in and around them maybe slip up. We mentioned Portsmouth a, a little while ago, but I, I feel Bolton are really well primed mm-hmm. um, to push on as well. So, yeah, but I certainly think they're good for the playoffs, definitely. It's a really exciting race, not just for the title, but for the playoffs in general. There's there's eight teams that potentially could finish in the top six. And I think below Blackpool, though, it seems to be a bit of a, I don't want to say a scrap, there just seems to be a massive kind of gap between eighth and the rest of the league. Then every, eight down seems to be fighting for mid-table relegation, whereas the rest then are fighting for the top six and the automatic promotion places. However, a team that are struggling this season is Reading, of course, former Premier League side, just, I think, 11 years ago and they had a game this weekend at home against Port Vale after 16 minutes the game was stopped it had already been a, been been stopped a couple of minutes beforehand for um for tennis balls been thrown onto the pitch in the protests of course it's the, the Reading fans have done numerous protests at games this season and they've thrown tennis balls onto the pitch but then one hell, or roughly 1,000, I should say, sorry, fans ran onto the pitch and referee Ross Joyce took all the players into the dressing room. And of course, the the the, the, the tunnel was fairly well guarded by, by stewards. At 25 past 4 p.m., the game was eventually abandoned. The, the voice came on the tannoy, I think 
three times in total and asked the fans to please leave the pitch so the game can restart or they would face potential repercussions. Fans didn't listen. It's, of course, their right to protest against the owner, Dai Yong, but the game was ultimately abandoned. I just want to read out some some stuff that The Athletic have written. It's from them, of course. I'm, it's it's not my, again, it's not my in the know. It's from The Athletic. They said that the catering team has left Reading in recent weeks due to not being paid. The team have been eating microwave meals. Select Car Leasing, of course, the sponsors of the stadium, had to step in to ensure payroll for players was was was, was guaranteed and the staff who were, you know, because Da Young has been in trouble several times with the HMRC. The EFL have actually also asked for him to be to be um, suspended as well. Is it suspended, I believe, or or or, or fined, or, or something along the lines? The EFL have asked, but the worst for me has been that apparently staff at the the training ground, the stadium, in their offices, have had to wear several layers of clothing because it's so cold in there. They don't have the the, the finances to to I suppose provide heat, which I feel is a basic human right for anyone in work. An absolutely dreadful situation, and and Keenan, I'll come to you on this. What do you, I mean? I'm sure you are in support of, of of the fans, and I know Port Vale supporters will be significantly disappointed by the fact that they they went to the game and they travelled, and the game was called off. I'm sure maybe there were some Reading fans as well that were a little disappointed. There were apparently some chance of we want our money back, but I don't think it was. It obviously wasn't the, the majority. What's your take on the situation? Yeah, I know. I know there's been other protests this season with with tennis balls and, and other notable things. But watching that, watching the the match get abandoned yesterday, and the lengths the fans are now going to for the protests that happened yesterday, it does really feel like they're they're, they're having to take decisive action. And, and unfortunately, you know, if you're a Reading fan that was sat there and wanted to watch a game, it's more important things when. Yeah, you talk about the the issues with staff, the issues mm-hmm. with players. You know, just basic necessities not being given to people. It's yeah, it, it's 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 shameful, really. And I don't know. It just it just seems like every season in the EFL, there's another club that it happens to, and it ends up being an, another club that's either saved or you know ends up being another Berry or. It's just it's 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 shocking, and I mean, I was just amazed by the, the was it McIntyre and and Abbey being potentially sold to Luton, and Ruben Sayers not even being told about it, yeah, and things like that. And you no know, fair play to um to Ruben Sayers after the the match, he did a press conference with the Reading social media team, and he he understood the need to protest and and wasn't annoyed or or angry and. The social media account put out, so I think everyone, you know, is supportive of the Reading situation, and hopefully it can it can be resolved. But you know, I think we'll be seeing a lot more abandoned matches at, at, at Reading. I think so too. And just and Chris, just speaking of Ruben Sayers, he had very limited experience in men's football. I suppose we can say he was mainly a, a, youth, a youth team coach, a, a very highly regarded coach at Southampton. Of course, he became the head coach as a side of relegated last season from the Premier League. So he's a has Premier League experience as a manager. He took over the Reading job at the start of the season. I could not imagine a worse job for a young coach trying to learn his trade. Do you think he I mean do you think he he would have taken the job if he'd have known the, the true extent? Because I can't imagine 
when he took the job, anybody told him <laughs> that it by by January a game would be abandoned after sixteen minutes because fan a thousand, roughly a thousand fans were on the pitch with flares and tennis balls. Yeah, I think I think the point you took the job over, it was clear that Reading were in trouble. There's there's been some some issues there for quite some time now, sadly. But yeah, how how quickly those those issues have kind of snowballed really this season has has probably taken everyone a little bit by surprise, probably apart from Reading fans. I think there's a, there's a couple of wider points, I think, in, in in my opinion. Firstly, it's heartbreaking, of course. It's absolutely mm. heartbreaking for Reading fans and, and the wider football world. Um, and, you know, when you see this sort of thing happen before at clubs that are in, in distress, it's often because there's, you know, there isn't any money available and they haven't got a proverbial pot to pay in up there. You know, I always think it back to, to, to Berry, obviously yeah. dodgy, dodgy owner, but, but primarily clubs like Portsmouth, for example, who, who really struggled many years ago. And this difference here is that the owner does have the finances to, to supply this. You think you mentioned things like basic human rights of, at work of having some of the heat turned on. Um, and it's not like they can't, the owner can't afford to pay for the heating. It's that he's actively not doing um, and that's that's what's really kind of painful. Um, and it's also incredibly disappointing that it's taken Reading's fans to take the action they did yesterday to storm the pitch for this to probably for the first time, even though it's been rumbling on for a number of years and then really significantly increased this year or this season, should I say, it's taken the fact that the fans have had to take the action they did this week before it really got mainstream media attention. But fingers crossed that that, that can now finally have an impact. And now it's in the public eye. More people are going to be able to to, to kind of have an impact, to be, yeah. be affected by it and, and, and hopefully have an influence to, to resolve it. Because yeah, as much as you never like to see this sort of thing happen, I completely understood why it did and completely backed it. And you mentioned some of the Port Bell fans. I also know there were some of the Port Bell fans were singing a chant yes. saying, um, get, out, get out of their club. As in, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Reading fans are saying, get out of our club. But the Port Bell fans were kind of joining in with that as well, I think, and, and credit really to them actually, they they seem brilliant because a lot of them came down to shake a lot of the Reading fans' hands as well, and I think full credit to them for doing that because yeah, absolutely, yeah, they, they they would also I suppose have a right to feel a bit aggrieved of the fact that they went to see their team and travelled to the game and it wasn't on. So I think credit to them, and I also I I think it's it will be quite telling about how the the EFL or the FA handled this situation and the rescheduling of the game and what the repercussions are because I also remember coming up to three years ago. Manchester United fans stormed Old Trafford and the height of the punishment was a rescheduled match. I would not like to see anything other than just a rescheduling for this game. Fans have a right to protest and if a club like Manchester United were not fined, or, or they might have been fined, but they weren't, um, they weren't deducted points or anything too too sinister. I, w- I would like, I suppose, the same to, to happen, but I think we know, we all know that that's not often the case. So we'll wait and see. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. 
And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash realEFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Away days are great, especially when your striker bag's a last-minute winner, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Next up is a trip to Bloomfield Road where Blackpool continued their surge for the playoffs. Of course, they sit eighth in the league, but they're only four points off Barnsley. They beat Exeter City 2-0 this weekend. Albie Morgan scored in the 39th and the 49th minute. That was they were his, he, before this game. He had only two goals this season. They were, so he now has four. Jordan Rhodes missed a penalty. Two of the most prolific players in League One, Colby Bishop and Jordan Rhodes, took penalties in the first half of their games this weekend, and they were both to the exact same side of the goalkeeper, and they were both just as bad. Absolutely dreadful penalties. I think they they obviously went for play. I, I, you know what, I mean, penalties are always bad when you miss, aren't they? No one ever says, oh, it's a great save for the goalkeeper, unless it was really like top corner. It's always the same as a poor penalty. But I just, when you go for placement, it always looks a bit worse, overpowered. It always looks worse than the goalkeeper saves it because it looks like you just, you know, Dimitar Berbatov into the bottom corner and the keeper's, the keeper's saved it. So it was at this point, that he obviously was gutted afterwards. He looked very angry with himself. If he had a scored, he would have gone level again with Alfie May as the League One's uh, top goal scorer. Blackpool face Nottingham Forest at home on Wednesday. And then the next, that's of course in the FA Cup replay after getting a a two-all draw at the city ground. They then face Bristol Rovers at the Memorial Stadium on Saturday. Exeter City, this loss drives them closer to the drop zone. Well, not closer, I suppose. It certainly doesn't help them in there. Their fight for survival is their second defeat in three games. They actually went on a little bit of a decent run of form recently after, a, I think it was 11 games without a win. They went on a decent run of form. And now they have again two losses in three. They had 10 shots in this game, which registered a total XG of 0.82. However, the reason it was so low is because five were outside the penalty area. And I understand people love a lot. People love a long shot, and especially as fans, when a player gets the ball at the edge of the box, you hear them all going, shoot, but don't, but don't. Because Graham, I actually remember Graham Potter got in trouble for this a few years ago at Brighton because he, he, he asked the Brighton fans, would they please not do that when the players had the ball at the edge of the box? Of course, the Brighton fans didn't listen. They were actually quite livid. I suppose it, it doesn't help when, I think at the time, Brighton were really struggling to score, and there was a joke that he was like the XG Kings and uh, and stuff like that, but, it, you know, Five shots, half your shots outside the penalty area does not help. And unless you have like Aryan Robin at the edge of the box hitting pings in the top left corner, don't try and work a better goal scoring opportunity. As I said, they only had an XG of 0.82 from 10. That's what 8% average of scoring per shot, which isn't great because, okay, it, it might be okay if you're a team in, in the Premier League with quality players. If Mo Salah is getting 8%, 10, 8% shots per game, you'd feel relatively comfortable that he'll score. If you're an Exeter City player who's fighting relegation in the third division of English football, you would feel less confident about them scoring. Sonny Cox actually looked really, just looked lost up front. I know he's only a young lad, he's only 19, and they really struggled to kind of give him the ball a lot. He was 
taken off late in the game. He just he had he he looked absolutely lost. He'd very little to do and he just didn't look great. I think goalkeeper Sinisalo, he stopped it from actually being more. I know he gave away the penalty and then he saved it. He made up for it, but he made a couple of good saves to keep the score line down. There's not really much else to talk about in this game other than the fact that I think Blackpool deserved winners in the match and they go marching on as they try and break into that top six after quite an inconsistent run of form recently. But over to you, Keelan. We go to Oakwell where Barnsley beat Bristol Rovers 2-1. Talk me through this one. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you talked about teams trying to, to push into those playoff spots, I think Barnsley at the moment, like Blackpool at the start of the season, were very inconsistent and mm. patchy. You know, struggled at, on their own turf at Oakwell, you know, four defeats this season at home. But I think they're unbeaten now since November. And yeah, I can't remember who they, they lost to in November, but they've, they've gone on a really good unbeaten run. And yeah, they're they, nine unbeaten in League One. Yeah, and I think they're going under the under the radar a little bit. And when you look at their when you look at their squad, they do have a lot of quality. Devante Cole's really stepped up for them this season. John McAtee's been a fantastic loan purchase from Luton. But they've got people like you know Herbie Kane and, and Callum Styles. And Callum Styles' ceiling is probably no offense to Barnsley, probably above League One. He has sorry to interrupt you, Keelan, but yeah. he has to be one of the I mean the the players you look at when you look at League One. And I don't mean to be disrespectful against the Barnsley, but I can't believe he's still there. I know he was on loan last season oh, yeah. in the championship, but my God, he's he's in League One still. I can't believe. And, he, and by the way, he's a hung, a Hungarian international. He's going to be at the Euros likely in the in the summer in Germany for Hungary, and he's playing in League One, playing at like left. Was it left wing back or left back this week? Yeah, it's, it is it is remarkable. And um, but yeah, watching you know the game and, and then the highlights back, it, it was it was an even game. But I think Barnsley, you know, through Devante Cole and and John McAtee, the opening goal is a, a, a wonderful cross from McAtee. Devante Cole's unlucky with the header. And then, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you luck in as a striker, the rebound falls to you and it, it trickles in. But, you know, Bristol Rovers under Matt Taylor have, have pushed on a little bit. They've, they signed Chris Martin, who showed to Devante Cole what Devante Cole wanted to do and headed it in from, from the cross from the Bristol Rovers man. What a header. It, it was a fantastic header, but unfortunately for, for the for the travelling Bristol Rovers fans and, and the team Barnsley went up the other end and scored soon after through through O'Keefe. And yeah, Barnsley, you know, when they played Peterborough recently in a, in a 2-2 draw with 2-0 up really early on and their press was really was really frightening. And yeah, I think they might be, when you look at that, with that top six, we're talking about teams like Oxford, Peterborough, Bolton. Maybe maybe Barnsley are, are just sneaking in there as, as dark horses a little bit. Every time Chris Martin scores a goal and I'm on this podcast, well, actually, not every time, but earlier on, I spent 10 minutes trying to think of a Coldplay pun, and I couldn't. It was quite sad, actually. I, I was good. One day I will, though, and no one will laugh, but I'll laugh, and that's okay. That's a top podcast, and that's what I'm looking for on this on the Really AFL League One podcast. Uh, that was actually Chris Martin's ninth goal of the season. It's the second, second consecutive loss for Bristol Rovers. Three losses in five. Now, they drop below Northampton Town. In the table, they face Norwich City at home on Wednesday and Blackpool at home on Saturday. That loss left them 12 points behind Barnsley in six. They're now 12 points off the playoff place. And I think it's fair to say maybe they're, you know, pending a miracle, they're pushed for 
maybe a top a top six spot in the second half of the campaign is certainly over. Meanwhile, Barnsley there are now nine unbeaten in League One. They stay six, but just seven points off Portsmouth with two games in hand. As I said, everybody bar Blackpool has a game in hand on Portsmouth. It's their first win though in three after draws against Peterborough United and Wigan Athletic. Carlisle United uh, travel to Oakwell next on Tuesday, and then of course Barnsley play Stevenage away from home. Chris, over to Adams Park, Wickham Wanderers 1, Lincoln City 1. I just wanted to say, Jack Moylan, my boy Jackie Moylan, made his debut this weekend for, I almost said Shelburne there, for Lincoln City. I wish it was Shelburne <laughs> for Lincoln City. He actually forced a really good save from the goalkeeper. It's not a good run of form for Lincoln City, though, and they're, they're really struggling for goals at the moment. First, talk me through Lincoln City's performance in the game, and, and do you think a, a draw was a fair result, or were you quite fortunate right at the end? No, it was fair. It was definitely fair. I'm always really conscious when I'm on here talking about Lincoln to, to kind of see the game through Lincoln City eyes only and be like too Lincoln-centric, but I have to admit this game was... Um, it's probably easier to discuss Lincoln City than it is Wick- Wickham. Um, we're valued for their point, Um I looked at, we actually recorded our Lincoln City podcast just before uh, coming on to record this one. So we've done a fair amount of digging into things like passing metrics mm-hmm. and, and XG and various things. Wickham's performance in terms of passing accuracy, um, successful passes, that's the same thing, and passing numbers, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, XG generated. That was actually pretty consistent for the full 90 minutes. Um, whereas Lincoln's performance was very much a tale of two halves. Now you mentioned um, the run. So yeah, Wickham going into this game with some kind of inconsistent form, but but only losing one in their last six, whereas Lincoln will without a win in, in the last six and had lost four on the bounce. Mm. And the first half, Wickham were probably just about value for their for their one nil lead at half time. Um, Jack Vokes, not Jack Vokes, uh, Sam Vokes. Who the hell is Jack Vokes? <laughs> <laughs> Sam Vokes uh, was a real handful uh, as he as he often is. Um, Lincoln dealt with him at times, but he, he certainly won a number of. Headers and, and that led to Wickham's goal on 29 minutes with uh, kind of a, a deep ball deep into the area. He peels off towards the far post, attracting two defenders, still wins the header, knocks it inside for, for Del Taylor to get a good header away to finish 1-0. Um, but I have to say, even as a Lincoln fan, this game was a bit more about Lincoln. Uh, so since Michael Scribble has taken over, um, he the, the squad has been decimated by injuries and suspensions. There were ten players missing in the in the New Year's Day game against Blackpool, um, and since then um, Lincoln haven't played. So Lincoln have had ten days pretty much um, without a game. Wickham have played two matches in that time. It's really the first opportunity that Michael Skubala has had to have any time on the training ground. And I think as a Lincoln City supporter, this is our first real opportunity to see right what has changed, if anything, you know what what direction are we going in, and. Particularly in the second half, there was some real, real big changes. But even at kickoff, there were, there were some big changes as well in terms of formation, in terms of lineup. So there were seven new or returning faces in the sixth in the in the squad, and there was five changes in the starting eleven, plus a shift to a back four and a front two. So yeah, quite significant changes, really. But honestly, not a lot really worked for Lincoln in the first half. But second half, um, they kind of got better and better and better, and yeah, really improved. And for the last sort of twenty-five minutes or so. Uh, Wickham were were really pinned in, and it was it was a little bit like the Alamo. To be honest, it was attack after mm. attack after attack. Now, under Mark Kennedy, Lincoln's touches in opposition box crosses uh, metrics were were twenty fourth in the league. That it was the lowest. Um, 
in this particular game, but actually a few times since Marcus Cabal has taken over, particularly this game, they were they were significantly higher, like in top five in regards to to that if they continue. So yeah, there were some real big changes there. Um Link had a goal disallowed on 60-something minutes, which was contentious. Um when I was watching this, I was at the time pretty furious because you couldn't we couldn't really see exactly what was going on and, and it's still it's still kind of unconfirmed whether it was given for a foul or offside but if it was offside um at the point where the ball was flicked on i think it's joe taylor the lincoln player was kind of almost on the line it doesn't touch the ball but he was in an offside position so i'm assuming that's what it was for but from that moment on yeah lincoln were really impressive and uh we were, we're, albeit a last-minute winner, a last-minute um, equaliser, which always feels like a winner, isn't it, when it's a last-minute one. Um, they deserved it, I have to say. Even even with my, you know, trying to be as objective as I can, um, Lincoln did did deserve it. Now, Matt Bloomfield made a point of saying that there was six minutes time added on and we scored in 90 plus eight. So, of course, you're going to be frustrated at that. Um, but I have to kind of credit the referee, which is, of course, much easier to do when your team comes out on the right side of a result. Um but certainly earlier in the season, we saw a lot of added time being given. Um, you know, there was there was sometimes double figures, wasn't there, for, for added time mm. both halves. And I, I personally feel this is like that's kind of been kind of decreasing a little bit as the weeks have. have oh yeah, gone. they trialed it for like two weeks and then never mm. did it again. But um, it seems to have happened uh, on Saturday because during added on time. Um, there was a moment where a Wickham fan just kept hold of the ball. The referee had to take that one. <laughs> uh, there was a moment where a Wickham player went down injured. Um, and there's also a throw-in which Wickham took, which uh, for our Lincoln pod, we timed on the, on the highlights. And it took over a minute for the throw-in to be taken. Uh, so the referee kind of justifiably added the time on. And yeah, as much as it's a last minute, it looks like a smash and grab. Lincoln were, were, value, for the, were value for the point. XG of uh, 2.04 compared to 0.92. But um 1.6 of Lincoln's XG came from the 60 minute onwards. Mm. They really yeah, did impress that second half. And um, I suppose just one more, one more little point on Lincoln, because again, we mentioned some of those metrics under Mark Kennedy. Um, one that really stood out to me at the time, I think it surprised you when I mentioned it as well um, before he was sacked, is that Lincoln's PPDA was yeah. 24th in the league. So that means passes allowed per defensive action. Lincoln were the most passive team in, in league one. Um, in the last three games under Michael Scubala, their average would put them third for PPDA. So it's not, you know, it just it doesn't, inc- doesn't show an increase in quality, but it shows an increase in a, a change in style, and certainly um, much more aggressive in the press. So, yeah, I think it's it's kind of a season of change for Lincoln at the moment. And I, is, I imagine... Is the playoff dream over? I think so. Yeah, I think so. You, you mentioned earlier, there's that kind of that top sort of set eight yeah. or so, and then kind of everybody else. I think if we can keep ourselves in the in that kind of put echelons of that chase of that next pack I think we'll all be satisfied because at the moment with the run we've been on we've been looking over our shoulders um, I certainly feel that Wickham were probably going to be in a similar sort of part of the, of the table as well come the end of the season they were they were solid um, created a few chances nothing hugely clear cut but they, they had some good quality in their team um, but yeah as a Lincoln City supporter I saw kind of some some green shoots uh, appearing after a, a real tough run over Christmas mm. but mainly because of the fact we've got yeah, new and returning players. It was, like I said, seven seven new faces or returning faces compared to the game against Blackpool on New Year's Day. And it's Derby County at home on Saturday for Lincoln City, which is going to be a very tough game. I just wanted to make a, a, I, I jotted down a stat, which I actually found myself. Lincoln City have scored 13% of their goals this season against Wickham Wanderers. So that's four out of the 30 against Wickham Wanderers alone. They've obviously taken four points from Wickham after beating them 3-0 
earlier on in the season. For Wickham Wanderers, though, uh, their last game, or sorry, they missed a chance to go above Charlton, sorry, they would have gone up into into 13th place had they have beaten Lincoln City or held on for just another couple of seconds. They face Port Vale away from home on Saturday, but they are now four games unbeaten. Next up, we go to Six Fields, Northampton Town. Picked up a one-all draw with Wigan Athletic. I watched Wigan Athletic on Monday against Manchester United, of course. The, there was a lot of controversy going into that game that Wigan sold out, I think it was seven... 7,000 or 8,000 seats to Manchester United fans. And it was very telling on television where the Manchester United fans were and where the noise was coming from. There was also, um, I think most people caught this if you watched the game, there was also like must have been a 10-year-old, 9-year-old vaping right at the start of the game. But yeah, did, did you see that? It was unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. And, and, and the camera cut away straight away just before he blew out. And I thought, yeah. my, I was, where are your parents, man? But anyway, we can Athletic looked Okay, I suppose against Manchester United, Manchester United are a top top ten now, Premier League side. But they looked all right. I thought Marshall Goddard was was quite impressive during the game. But as we know, Northampton Town are a very different fixture than facing Manchester United, and actually quite a tricky fixture. It's because I've said this so many times in the podcast. Northampton Town are a really strong side this season. Strangely enough, they missed the chance to. Go within six points of the playoffs, Northampton Town, which I find absolutely bizarre. I don't think anybody would have expected them to do this well this at this stage of the season. If they were this close to the playoffs in maybe October, I'd have said, well, they'll drop off eventually. They might still, of course, but the fact that they're ninth is really, really impressive. Sam Hoskins, again, was really good. He He scored his 13th goal of the season in League One from the penalty spot. He almost scored again. I mean, he he looked so lively. There was even one situation where I, I can't remember the defender it was for Wigan. Oh, it was Morrison. Apologies, it was unknown for Bayern Munich. Liam Morrison, he took the ball down in the air and his touch, as he took it on the run, he touched it inside and Morrison fell on his arse, basically. And it looked, I mean, as a defender that's on loan from Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich 2, I should say, as a defender that's on loan from the German Giants, it's, it was it it looked absolutely humiliating. He's had an unbelievable season, Sam Hoskins, and he's one of the reasons Northampton Town have done so well this season. He scored thirteen goals out of Northampton's thirty-two, which is a massive, massive chunk of their goals. Josh uh, Josh McGuinness then he scored uh, to equalise late in the game, the sixty-fourth minute, just after the hour mark. Apologies, that was his third of the season. Wigan won the reverse fixture in this of, of this game two-one. It was. I don't. I mean, I suppose it was it was an even enough game. Wigan Athletic probably had better chances. I mean, they had more shots. They had sixty five percent of the ball. They had eleven shots to Northampton Town's seven, and but they both had two on target. It was quite an even game. I don't think. I mean, either team could have won it, of course, but I don't think. Um, I don't think either team would be too disappointed. Wigan Athletic will certainly be happy to walk away with at least a point. Because, but when it was 1-0, I actually thought Northampton Town would hold out because they've been that strong this season in certain games, especially defensively, and they, they keep games so tight and they keep it so tight at the back as well. Northampton, though, they are unbeaten in three. Now they've three wins in five and they face Oxford United away from home on Saturday, which would be a, a very tough fixture for both sides because as Oxford United, I really don't fancy... I don't fancy any team to play... If I was any side, I don't fancy them playing Northampton Town. Uh... About Wigan, they would be 10th if they didn't pick up an eight-point seduction at the start of the season. Callum Lang did not feature in this game, which I thought was interesting. Of course, he allegedly had a calf problem. 
But Callum Lang has also been the centre of transfer speculation in recent weeks. Journalist Aaron Whitcoop said today, I think, this morning, that Rotherham United were chasing his signature before the January transfer window closes. We also know that, allegedly or reportedly, Derby County and Portsmouth are keen to sign Callum Lang. He didn't start on Monday either against Manchester United. He came off the bench for, I believe, two minutes, which is, isn't ideal, you know, considering how big of a game it was. He was out of the squad today. It would be a massive loss for Wigan Athletic. Sean Maloney said he doesn't want him to leave, but he, he didn't name Callum Lang. He said, if a player wants to leave, then we can have a discussion. So in my mind, that would mean he is open-minded to the idea of losing Callum Lang because the question from the journalist was directly about Callum Lang. So I'd be, without naming him, I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm sure that's who Maloney was talking about. Now over to the Abbey Stadium. Keelan, Cambridge United picked up a 2-1 win against Fleetwood Town. We'll start with Fleetwood firstly because I, I, I'm a pessimist. Charlie Adam now is in charge for three games and they've lost all three. He is, their, he is Fleetwood's third head coach of the season. And it's not getting any better. They are still rock bottom of the table. And somehow, I mean, defensively, they're the worst team. 47 goals conceded in 26 games. And again, it didn't surprise me. They conceded 13, or 15 shots. Sorry, it was a 13 shots. Apologies against Cambridge United. Talk me, talk me through this game. Yeah, I think it's a tale of two teams. Cambridge have um, got the appointment of Neil Harris correct, and, and Fleetwood, you know, keep getting their appointments wrong by by the looks of it. Lee Johnson had a minor success, and then it all unravelled in you know typical Lee Johnson fashion, as he's done at other clubs in his managerial career. But yeah, watching the highlights, I think Cambridge were full value for the win. And it, it was a it was a win that was was spearheaded by Lyle Taylor being in the in the Cambridge team. You know, a good a good acquisition, a smart acquisition and and probably shows Neil Harris's connections. Cause, you know, I think at the start of the season Lyle Taylor was being tipped to to join Sheffield Wednesday and, and was training with them for a while to then Make the drop down to to a League One team that that looked like they might have been in a relegation battle under Mark Bonner, and it, it looks like the smart and correct decision that they did get rid of Bonner. It might have been a bit harsh, but Neil Harris has got. I think it's they beat they beat Exeter at home and they beat Blackpool at home. I want to say, so yeah. I think they picked up three home wins now under him. And watching the highlights, you could tell that the the Abbey faithful were were behind their team and. Yeah, it, early on, I think a Cambridge man smashed an effort against the bar, and it, it just looked like a team. Then they, they it was needed... Jack Lancaster, I think he whacked the bar. He had a couple of good opportunities in that oh, yeah, game. Yeah, he whacked the bar. It was an unbelievable strike, by the way, as well. Yeah, he, he whacked the bar with that, and then he somehow missed a <laughs> sister late on. But you know, going back to the the opening goal, it's Lyle Taylor's in in the correct position to bundle it in and then Fleet would get a bit of a, a fortuitous equaliser. There's a bit of you know, indecision from the Cambridge defenders and I think it's Omichair heads it in through just you know, just being in the right place at the right time. But they didn't give up, you know, and Jack Lancaster yeah, smashes the bar with a with an unbelievable effort in in the first half. And then from point blank range he, he gets the ball and, and somehow puts it wide, but he gets bailed out by Sully Kai Kai, who's another experienced player, formerly of Crystal Palace, obviously had a mm. prolific loan spell at Cambridge 
a couple of seasons ago and he, he gets the ball. Lyle Taylor puts it into his path and it's a, a really good lofted finish. And yeah, I think if you're a, if you're a Cambridge fan, you're feeling a lot more optimistic than you were under under Mark Bonner. Not, not to bring it back to, to Posh, because I don't think Cambridge fans would like me to <laughs> talk about Cambridgeshire Derby. But when I, when they they came to London Road and we beat them 5-0, it was a case of... It was very negative. Obviously, they're playing in a in a game that's going to be tense. But it, I feel like with Mark Bonner's teams, there was one tactic. And if that didn't work, it was a bit like, I don't, we don't really know what to do. Hmm. They didn't have a lot of goal scorers in that team. And yeah, it just seems that the appointment of Neil Harris is, has been a positive, you know, injection for them. And unfortunately for Fleetwood... Yeah, I don't I don't envy Charlie Adam because that's a, a tough job, you know, rooted to the bottom of of League One and it doesn't really look like it's gonna get better for the COD army anytime soon. With such a little experience as well in coaching, I just I find the whole situation bizarre. I mean, I, I suppose maybe their thought process was that they went with experience with Lee Johnson, but I think I, I and then they obviously went the opposite side with that when they appointed Charlie Adam, but I just think three head coaches by what was it, December? That's Something's gone terribly, terribly wrong. I mean, it, it's just been an absolutely dreadful season. That's four losses in a row now for Fleetwood Town. As I said, they have the worst offence in the league. 47 goals conceded. Absolutely awful. But just on Cambridge United, they have beaten Fleetwood Town three times this season. So I don't think Fleetwood Town are, <laughs> are going to miss playing Cambridge United anymore until the end of the season. So I think they're happy now to see the back of them. But just when you said about Neil Harris, he's been in charge for seven games now, and they've won. They've won a uh, four, I believe. I think. Oh, sorry, they've won three, drawn one, and lost three. But his very first game was the only draw, and that was they scored. I think two stoppage time goals against Charles yeah, yeah. Murray very late in the game. At least one was very late in the game. The penalty, but yeah, just he, he's done a, a very decent job, and they were kind of edging closer towards the the bottom of the league when he took over. So they'll be happy to have a bit of respite, although they are only seven points off safety or, or from the relegation zone. Apologies, but I mean, it's it's better than nothing. Chris, you got absolutely shafted this week with the last game of that we're going to discuss. <laughs> so apologies for that at, at, at Crowd Meadow. But about two weeks ago, I actually think it was this, the, I was going to say Stephen's Day, we, the, in Britain it's called Boxing Day podcast we did. I went on a bit of a rant about Shrewsbury Town, which was fully fueled by a lack of sleep and an obscene amount of caffeine, but I still stand by my statement. Somehow, Chris, Shrewsbury Town are 17th and there are seven teams below them in the league. And I look at their record and I think, how how are you level on points with like Cambridge United, Port Vale, Wickham and Charlton? That absolutely blows me away. They have the lowest number of goals scored this season with 17 in 27 games, and they've one of the worst defensive records, and yet somehow they kind of cling on. Chris, talking to this one, and again, it was just another tootless game, really, for Shrewsbury, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think there's, there's some wider discussions about Shrewsbury here, because there's some other underlying metrics which are really, really concerning. It's not just the goals, it's 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 lots of other elements of it as well, mm-hmm. and we don't ever like to be too critical of teams, but I'm concerned about them. I think it's it's a bit of a miracle that they're, they're not dragged into it, but I have to admit, unless something drastically changes in January, 
not even necessarily personnel wise, they need personnel, but they also need an improvement just, just in terms of performance and maybe even system because they're not creating a lot. But in this game, it was it was a game of very, very few chances. Um to be honest, uh Stevenage certainly knocked on the door more than Stevenage did, uh, more than Shrewsbury did, sorry. That's no surprise, I think, bearing in mind um Shrewsbury's recent results and and, and performances. Um Stevenage did have the majority of the territory as well. Didn't get the opener until 84 minutes. That man, Jimmy Reed, a really good finisher. Obviously, scored quite a few goals this season already, capitalising on a good through ball, but after a kind of a weak header away from a, a Shrewsbury defender. And the thing is, with Shrewsbury, they don't score very often. Um, so as soon as you score a goal against them, you, you're not going to lose the game. Um, the worst you're going to do is, is, is obviously draw. Um, but Shrewsbury would have gone into this and their last league game, beating Fleet with 3-1. Maybe thinking finally that we've turned a bit of a corner here, but you've just discussed the challenges at, at Fleetwood, of course. So, yeah, maybe that wasn't quite as impressive as as maybe it felt at the time. Now, you mentioned about the, the, the goals for Shrewsbury. Now, um, I think almost every team in League, in league One, I was going to say, but almost every team, probably in, in most leagues, um, in January, transfer window, I think, well, if we just could just get someone to put the ball in that, just get a striker, everything will be okay. But also, you need to feed that striker with with, with chances. Now, um, you mentioned Shrewsbury's um, defensive metrics aren't, aren't outstanding. They're certainly not, but their attacking metrics are um, really concerning. So, you mentioned goals at 24th, of course. XG is, is 23rd. XG against is still the 22nd. So, so they are really, really, really poor. Um, but shots per 90, they're, they're 23rd. Crossing accuracy, 24th. Um, total crosses per 90, 24th. Touches in opposition area, 22nd. Um, total passes attempted, 22nd. Passing accuracy, 22nd. And this is a big one. Oh, my. Um, passes into the final third, 22nd. And passing accuracy into the final third is 23rd in the league. Um, Fleetwood are, the, are generally the team that's 24th, by the way, for those that they're generally 23rd yeah. for. Um they're really bad. It's, 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 it's not, at least, not when, you, at least when you look at Fleetwood and you think, okay, they're 24, 24 here in, in this metric and this metric, at least they are 24th. Yeah, it look makes sense, doesn't it? Like, yeah. yeah, it makes so much sense. And Shrewsbury are, are 23rd at least in everything. And they're 17th. And there's somehow seven teams below them. It absolutely boggles my mind. And I don't, again, I have nothing against Shrewsbury Town. I just, when I look at stats, I say this all the time in the podcast, but you will always regress to your means. And Shrewsbury just somehow haven't really at the moment, but I, I feel they will. I feel like yeah, they're I really going to struggle. I agree. I, yeah, normally, like, if you say this, that this pattern continues, then results will follow. And I think the fact that there's been teams below them that haven't, been picking up points either has been the reason for them to stay in 17th rather than them picking up that many points. Of course, the three points against Fleetwood would have certainly helped that quite considerably. Um, but there's no one yet um, that are below them that's starting to put a run together that's going to get them out of trouble. And normally at this stage of the season, you see one or two of those teams start to really kind of pick up. Um, but we haven't quite seen that just yet. But you normally expect one or two of them to do so. And as soon as we continue on the on the form that they are now in terms of performances, yeah, you, you can see them certainly getting dragged into that. And I think the challenge is when that spiral starts, it's difficult to turn it around mm-hmm. without changing something really drastically. So I think January is a really big month for them at the moment because they need they need some additions. Um, but it's not just getting a centre forward in and everything's going to be be solved. I think it's slightly deeper than that and it's slightly more complex than that. And yeah. I'm a little concerned about them at the moment, I have to, I have to admit. Well, I mean, the top goal scorers this season is, is, is joined with Daniel Udo and, and 
Ryan Bowman, they both have four goals only. And they also have like Max Matha in the side. He has, I think, one goal. And Max Matha, by the way, I've I watched a lot in the League of Ireland. He played for Sligo Rovers. He was banging in goals during a spell of like must have been three, four months only. It feels like that. And then the goals dried up. And they just they dried up. And then he went to Shrewsbury. And I thought, okay, they obviously haven't watched the last few weeks, but that's fine. <laughs> and he goes there and He's struggling for goals again. Somehow plays. I don't, I don't mean disrespectful to him, obviously, but he played for the New Zealand national team as well. So it's not as if he's. I mean, I, maybe there's something I'm not. I'm not watching when I see Max Matha, but again, they're just really struggling for goals. He has like one this season, and it's just it's not good. Your top goal scorer has four goals. I mean, they had six shots in total at the weekend. It's just really poor. It's really worrying. But just quickly before we 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 wrap up, Chris Stevenage got their first win of 2024. They were on a bit of a no, I suppose a bit of a blip. I mean, they dropped outside the, the top six for... I mean, they were in the top six for a long time this season. They finally dropped out. A part of me always thought that maybe Stephen would struggle to stay in the top six, but I I suppose they're going to stay in the conversation for at least the playoffs until the end of the season because they're seventh and there, there's there's a big gap between themselves and, and Northampton Town, which is nine points between the seventh and ninth. I suppose that they will be in the playoff conversation for maybe the rest of the season, but that was a big win for them. They got back on track. Do you think they'll? Do you think they can get back in the playoffs because they're very well? Actually, I'll get your opinion first. You, what, what, what do you think? Do you think they're good enough to get back into the playoffs? I think, I think they are because I think they they keep themselves in games really well. Um, you know, every game they lose is a really tight game, and, and they just put enough pressure on defenses to to kind of force things. And when you've got someone in red hot form like Jamie Reid. They've always got a chance of kind of putting those harsh chances away because it's rare they create real clear cut chances, mm-hmm. but they, they they create a, a high quantity of kind of um, those kind of mid XG chances. And and you've got someone like Jamie Reed that, that puts them away. It's really helpful for them. And yeah, they, they've had a little blip, I suppose, recently. But the only two games they've lost in the last few is against Portsmouth and Barnsley, too. You know, and they were and they were both away games. So. You know, take take those out against good teams that you probably would expect them to to struggle against. Then then they've been really consistent and, and been been really competitive against every other opponent. Um, so yeah, I I think they'll be in the conversation certainly. Whether they've got quite enough to to to, to kind of really cement themselves there, I'm I'm not sure. But they'll certainly be in the conversation. They did have a similar drop off last season, obviously mm. on top of the league for quite some time, and then ended up finishing um, just below that. But yeah, I think they're good enough to stay in there. I think the only the only concern I have for them is that they're you know, pretty one-dimensional. They're they're incredibly well drilled at the style that they play, um, but there's not a lot else to that. And if and if you come up against a team which is um, able to deal with that, which there hasn't been that many this season that have been able to deal with it, um, but if teams start to get a little bit wise to it, then and I think it'll be more difficult for them to really change things in game. I think a lot of other teams, certainly in that same conversation of playoffs, have a lot more tactical flexibility than. And Stevenage do, but it's also worth pointing out that they are incredibly effective at that mm. at Plan A. So, yeah, I think I think they've they've definitely got enough to keep themselves in there. That the start of the season has kind of dictated that. And if they keep winning against teams that you expect them to win against, then then they're going to be they're going to be there or thereabouts, regardless of their results against the teams in and around them. Well, speaking of efficiency, Jamie Reid had the fewest touches of any other player on the pitch that stayed on the pitch for the full game and he got the winner and he got all three points I mean that's just that's just peak league one that's excellent I love that I love stats like that that's absolutely brilliant I think one thing about Steve Evans is that he'll he'll get you to play beyond your means and he certainly I think he has done that this season at least with Stevens, considering they were a newly promoted side 
it's it's fascinating that they're even in the the, the discussion for top six because I don't think anyone expected Stevens to be up there in the top six. We certainly didn't when we predicted the the the, the table at the start of the season. Gentlemen, we will wrap up the podcast there. We got through quite a lot in that episode. Keelan, what are your plans for the week? Uh, not much, really. I've got a, a few writing shifts. I'm, I'm trying to get back. Obviously, it's January and it's all the resolutions. I've been trying to get back into reading because I did an English degree as my undergrad. And for some reason, whenever I whenever I try and pick up a book, I automatically think I have to write an essay on it. So it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a. I just want to get back into reading because it's it's so enjoyable and it's a it's a good book. But if there's any recommendations, that's actually a really good resolution. It's something I was thinking about doing a lot as well recently because I, I I love reading, but it's just I don't know. Sometimes I want to read and like this is something else I want to do, and, and I end up always choosing the latter option. Just speaking of resolutions as well, mine is to I want to try learn Polish. Uh, this year my partner of course she is Polish I think I've said that on the podcast before and she wants to bring me home to her family I've tried to learn Polish Polish is an incredibly incredibly difficult language to learn to the point where I've tried to speak Polish before to her brother who's fluent in English obviously he was born in, in, in Ireland so he's fluent in English but I said something to him before in Polish and instead of answering me in Polish or saying oh yeah I understood that he said I know what you meant. I thought, well, look at listen. That's all that's I'm going good enough, for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah but it's all, it's all I'm going for. I, I just, I, all I want is for you to know what I meant. I mean, isn't that the, the, that is the idea of language, really? Anyway, Chris, what, what do you have resolutions and, and what are your plans? I have, I've got a couple. I'm, I've taken, I've bitten off more than I can chew, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, I've been, my lockdown project was to learn the guitar. I, I was, I've always loved music, but I've never been musical, and I want to learn it. And um, I want to get to a point where I feel comfortable playing on like an open mic or something. That would be quite cool. Um, but also with uh, the League of City podcast, guys, we're, we've all signed up to run the local 10K um, for, for the League of City Foundation. And I am uh, not a runner. <laughs> so, uh, so, yes, yeah, so I need to get into that. Uh, but also, it's just incredibly busy with my my real job at the moment. This time of the year is is our, our like, like really busy, busy time. So just a bit very busy boy at the moment, but it's all good fun. And uh, yeah, look forward to another good week. Amazing. I tried to learn the keyboard before, so it's not really the piano. And I learned the opening of Bohemian Rhapsody because I thought that'd be cool to know. So I, I learned that, or at least I thought I learned it, and I played it for my family, and they laughed at me. Uh, and yeah. I never went back to it, and that was about four years ago. So maybe one day I'll go back to it after I kind of pick my... Uh, cojones up off the floor <laughs> anyway to everyone listening at home please make sure to drop us a five star rating if you enjoyed the podcast it means the world to us and make sure to tune in on sunday as we dissect all the weekend results for your wonderful ears once more thank you all for listening and goodbye for now The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
it's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNuggets share box on the go. And do you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.